Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Well, welcome to another edition of Fridays with a Scientist. Today, we have Dr. Nathan Mueller from University of Nebraska Extension. Nathan, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks, Eric. Excellent. So just mind giving us a little bit of background about yourself, where you're from, kind of how you got interested in you know, agronomy and weather and those sorts of things? Yeah, yeah. Um, so so my current role, I'm the Water and Cropping Systems Extension Educator with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I cover for my accountability region, Celine Jefferson and Gage County, so south and west of Lincoln. Um, so south and west of Lincoln to the Kansas state line. Um, but um, in terms of a specialist role, I do serve kind of as the winter wheat kind of extension specialist for the east half of the state because I've lived and worked in Kansas and South Dakota. Uh, but I am a Nebraska native. I actually grew up in, in Hooper, uh, north of Fremont. So I just say the name Jordan Larson and people usually recognize uh, the town Hooper. Uh, so <laughs> uh, that's where I um, grew up. And I actually did my bachelor's and master's at Lincoln um, in agronomy um there and then uh worked for the indiana state department of ag and soil conservation while my wife went to purdue and then after she was finished up there i did my phd at k-state down in manhattan on soil fertility and plant nutrition and then spent some time as a professor extension specialist uh statewide on a whole host of crops including the variety testing program in south dakota state um, out of brookings and then oh man nine years ago um, started um, back here at Nebraska, moved back home, actually was in Dodge and Washington County for six. And then I've been down here in Wilbur, uh, Southeast Nebraska the last three and a half years. So, yeah. Oh, so uh, you've had, a, you've had yeah. a nice tour of the Midwest. Yeah. So all over in terms of how I got interested, um, I grew up on a, a row crop oat alfalfa um, dairy farm. Uh, so a lot of different things going on there and really liked um, the crop part. Um, growing up more so than the livestock, uh, dairy uh, is a, um, a definitely a culture, uh, even more than a job because it's day in and day out, but really appreciated the agronomy side. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I headed down the path of really in, into as an agronomist. Was it the lack of um, vacations in the dairy industry that sort of maybe leaned you more toward the crop side? Yep. 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 Um, I'm not afraid of hard work, but I also know what hard work is. And I, I do appreciate um having some downtimes and vacation times in the agronomy world. Yep. Excellent. So I just had to total aside, did you actually know Jordan Larson or is she too young? No. So she would have been, I think, an eighth grader uh, when I was a senior. So actually her dad was uh, one of the teachers at Logan View where I went to school. So I had her dad as, as a teacher. So. Oh, okay. That's very cool. Yeah. So um, in terms of wheat, Wheat used to be, or still is, a very big crop across uh, portions of Nebraska. Now, I dare say it probably was a more prominent crop, um, at least here in Lancaster County, probably 30, 40 years ago compared to what it is now. Uh, you still see winter wheat out there. And this last season, so the 22-23 season, is it fair to say it was a pretty challenging year? Yeah. Um, challenging, I would say definitely the most challenging in the past 10. Uh, I think that was pretty easy to say here in the eastern part of Nebraska. Um, out west, actually, our production numbers for bushels coming in is actually going to be up over last year because we had a lot better moisture conditions, especially in the panhandle. So, yeah, but here in, in eastern Nebraska, I would say typical average guys are shooting for is 80 bushel uh, rain fed uh, winter wheat. And we were more in that 20 to 50 um, range with a lot in the 30s. So we were um, less than half of average. And so, um, and we had a lot of probably the highest abandonment of winter wheat acres planted, um, probably going back to at least, uh, yeah, it, more than a decade. So um, it'll be interesting to see what USDA has for uh, planted numbers and then actually harvested numbers um, by region of the state when, once we get to that. Yeah. Do you know when they actually release those numbers? Is that in January when they release the other crop reports or? Yep. So it's usually in February is the release of the small grain data. So for the 2023 harvest here, we'll get those results in February of 2024. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I've heard conditions or that wheat yields and production numbers from the Western side of the state were better this year compared to last year, which isn't a surprise given it started raining out there in May, June was, 
pretty good. They even had trouble getting a crop out just because it, it kind of kept raining uh, and it was a little bit cooler. Um, but yeah, so over on our side of the state, it seems like we just, it was probably kind of a perfect storm for this last year's wheat crop. So just out of, for context, most winter wheat in this part of the state, so the southeastern side of Nebraska, is it, is it mostly planted in September, early October? Yeah. So, um, for example, in the kind of southeast Nebraska, so Platte River South, um, and I would say from Highway 14, which is Clay County, from there east. So there's southeast 22 counties. There's about 40,000 acres of winter wheat. East Central Crop Reporting District, um, there's maybe about 10. And when you get to Northeast Crop Reporting District, about five. Um, so a bulk in eastern Nebraska is in, in the southeast half. Um, like I said, four, really 40, probably out of that 55,000, know, 40 out of that 50,000 is in the southeast. And uh, the main crop that it follows is soybeans, some after corn. So really the last week of September is kind of the start of planting season. And then really this first week of October, um, I would say is kind of the heaviest part. And so if you look at correlation, when we're about 50% harvested on soybeans, from my experience, that's when a lot of acres of winter wheat are getting planted um, here in Southeast Nebraska. And I, you know, my area, I'm guessing about, we're at about 40% harvested on soybeans right now. Uh, and so, of course, um, I know people are starting to plant wheat. And so that that matches up pretty well. So that I think statewide, the percentage of wheat planted is uh, closer to 70 percent. But that would be mostly western Nebraska at this point where they're not following a soybean crop. Yeah. Um, winter wheat planted actually was uh, 79 percent this past Monday statewide. Um, and and of course, that's weighted um, based on acres. So acres when they figure out that percent. Uh, but um, I did talk to my colleagues in the Panhandle. They had really great conditions here in September. They start already uh, right at the beginning of September already. Um, there's some elevation adjustments for recommended planting dates for wheat mm -hmm. in Nebraska. And so they hit some of those. So uh, early September already. But so they're mostly planted. They had great seedbed conditions, moisture conditions to plant into. Um, after talking to my colleague, John Thomas, another crops educator out there. So here, um, the recent moisture we just had go through is going to be really helpful. Um, I actually had a blog post on my Crop Tech Cafe about planting into tough seed bed conditions. Um, and one of my suggestions was to wait um, until after a rain versus trying to have enough dead weight and wait on the drill to keep it in the ground to hit our target planting depth of one and a half inches. So uh, the rain that we had just moved through is um, really going to help people out in terms of, of hitting that target planting depth. And that target planting depth is really important to protect that, that wheat plant um, in terms of reducing chances of winter kill um, and just getting that plant established as well. So um, that's where we're at. And so I was really happy with the, the moisture we got here. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, that rain was you know, very useful. And I think as most places on the eastern side of the state had, you know, between six tenths, an inch and a half, some isolated spots look like they had over two inches. And, uh, you know, I, we didn't really get moisture like this last fall. And, uh, the next yeah. 10 days don't look particularly wet, but um, there have been some places, particularly if you go a little bit further west, like toward Holdridge, like they've actually had pretty good rain last part of September. They got rain yesterday. So any wheat that'll be planted in that area, I think they should actually be having a pretty good start. You mentioned the panhandle. I feel like they've had just had kind of a golden year out there for about the last four or five months. Scott's Bluff is maybe two or three good storms away from having its wetters here on record. And um, yeah, so it's probably, hopefully that uh, this is the start of a very, very good wheat year for that part of the state. And hopefully we can, or starting to inch out of the worst of drought in Southeastern, or at least the areas that you're covering and things will um, shape up for a good year. But in terms of, so one and a half inches of depth, so I'm assuming soil temperatures are still somewhat critical for planting. Yeah, the um, temperature for winter wheat to germinate is about 38 degrees Fahrenheit, and so um, it's not has that's not like corn and soybeans. Uh, uh, people who plant rye, which is pretty common as a cover crop, is actually a little bit cooler, about 34 to 36. So, um, but what we want, and we look at, I have a. On my recent blog post, I did put our target planting dates. So kind of for the southeast corner down in uh, Richardson County um, by October 15th, um, a large part from, I would say, Cass County down to Slim Jefferson Gage would be October 10th. And then you move up at an angle kind of from Saunders County um, down to York and, and Knuckles would be October 5th. 
And really that's based on some previous research that was done in Southeast Nebraska in the 1980s um, that looked at having 400 growing degree units from planting until sometime in December. And what they were looking at, if we can get that wheat plant emerged and have that plant at least have one to two tillers, um, that really helps with our yield potential um, of that crop because uh, wheat is, we have seeding rate, but then each plant can have multiple heads and those tiller and tiller development correlates with what we have potential for, for heads. And so um, that when I looked at the new weather norms, um, climate norm, 30 year norms, I then recalculated what that would be for a recommended target planning date um, with updated temperatures. And so I have a new map for Southeast Nebraska for target planning dates. And then the start of the planning date um, window kind of varies again for, um, there's uh, an insect called a Hessian fly. Usually, at least in the past decade, it really hasn't been an issue, um, but historically it has. And so, and then there's some other insects, aphids and some other um, things where we can transmit viruses um, and deal with wheat curl mite, which transmits a virus. So we have wheat mites, aphids, and Hessian fly, or Hessian fly. So all those things, when you plant too early in eastern Nebraska, really increase our, our risk of, of some of those issues. So generally, um, for my area, uh, Sling Jefferson Gage, I'd like people to plant really about um, October 1st um, to October 10th would be the 10-day window. Um, ideally, I'd like most of the week to go in, in on average, of course, you know, every, every fall is different in what temperatures we get in October and November. Um, but that's kind of on average kind of the, the window. And that matches up really well with K-State's research um, for kind of north central, northeast Nebraska. They've, uh, Romulo was one of our guest speakers at the Alfalfa and Weed Expo for southeast Nebraska. We had back in September, in uh, end of August. And he had uh, roughly a date of like October 8th. Um, and so that fell right in my window of what I had calculated. So um, I think there's pretty good agreement there on kind of those target planning rates for, for southeast. Yeah, that makes sense. So that that four hundred degree or four hundred degree day, um, is that based on fifty Fahrenheit or forty um, Fahrenheit? Forty Fahrenheit. Yeah, forty Fahrenheit. Okay. So you should most years you would probably accumulate that by Thanksgiving or the first week of December, uh, before it really goes into its vernalization period. Exactly. Yep. So, and the reason I was asking about the soil temperatures, I was just thinking if if putting in a wheat crop is contingent upon getting a soybean crop out. And I'm not saying this is going to happen this year, but there are years where the harvest is really, really delayed because of excessive wetness or some other issues. What happens if you can't get your soybean crop out until, say, Halloween or first part of November? Can you still yeah. plant the wheat crop or is that just like kind of like, well, maybe you shouldn't do this this year? Yeah, no, that's a question I get every year, Eric, um, from producers. And so, like I said, usually start a planting correlates pretty good well with 50 percent harvest on soybeans. If we look at the USDA data, so like you said, um, if you look back at wheat planting progress um, in the east um, and harvest that matches up. So um, that happens. And so what we just talked about tiller and tiller development uh, goes into the same discussion. So if you know you can't plan on that target window, you're not likely to get those tillers forming in the fall because we're not going to have it emerge and the heat units accumulate. Uh, you can compensate by just increasing your seeding rate, right? You're going to increase the number of main stem heads. And so uh, I actually had built um, a, a UNL, or I call Crop Tech Cafe seeding rate calculator for wheat for, for Eastern Nebraska. It's on my website at croptechcafe.org. And essentially you put what wheat you think you're gonna plant. Um, you put in your seed um, size, purity and germ, which you should get from your certified seed tag. Um, and then you it'll look at that and it'll increase the seeding rate as we delay each week through the essentially the month of October. So. For my area right now in this target planning window, we're at about 1.2 million seeds per acre. By middle of October, you're already at about 1.4 and 1.5. And then you're going to increase that to 1.5 to 1.8 once we get to the end of October. So if you're planning Halloween wheat, um, as I say, uh, you should really be at 1.8 million uh, seeds per acre, which um, is quite a bit of increase over the 1.2. Uh, but we can really regain some of that lost yield with the late planting with increasing seeding rate. We can't recapture all the yield um, lost potential, but we can make up a lot of it. And so um, I tell guys, if you've already ordered seed um, and you don't want to go back and get more, um, you can just increase the seeding rate and plant less acres. Sure. Or, or 
if you want to stick with the acres you were originally planning on with what you ordered for seed, um, go get more seed. And sometimes that's not as easy for people in Northeast and East Central Nebraska. We don't have as many seed um, sources or seed dealers. It's a little bit easier as we get down here into Southeast Nebraska. But even then, um, a lot of guys might be 30 minutes to even a, an hour away from from winter wheat seed once you get into central, east central Nebraska, you know, around that Fremont area. So um, depending on what variety you want. So a lot of times in some cases uh, you just go with less acres and increase the seeding. What I don't want people to do, and I've had people do, and that's where I'm walking fields in the spring and say, I don't think we have the stand here that we really want for the yield potential. You might treat this as a cover crop um, and move to, to corn or soybeans. But what we don't want to do is plan on Halloween at our, you know, 1.2 million seeds per acre. Excellent. Yeah. That makes that makes good sense to me. Uh so you plant that wheat winter wheat crop in the late, you know, in the fall, fertilizes, kind of reemerges sometime in the spring. Um, then it gets its full growth, it hits its reproductive stage, uh, probably sometime in May, early June, probably May, right? Yeah. So end of end of May um is kind of typical time for flowering, um, start of flowering in, in winter wheat. Yep. Then matures for June and it's harvested in July. So those fields after they harvested, are they left fallow until the next wheat year, or do they put a short season corn crop or soybean crop in, or what is the typical rotation like for somebody that has wheat in Southeast Nebraska now? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I know USDA um, RMA um, out of Topeka. I've talked with them about that. Um, you know, from a crop insurance standpoint, what can we plant um, in eastern Nebraska after wheat and still get crop insurance policy? So um, the double crop bean option um, is is an option um, for crop insurance coverage. It'd be an individual policy. Um, you might need a um, a letter from, from us, depending on where you're at. Um, in southeast Nebraska, that would be covered. So um, moisture is probably the most critical factor for southeast Nebraska, on, which is mostly rain-fed wheat. There's a little bit of irrigated. Um, like you said, typically coming out by July 4th, um, if we can get those beans planted right away, um, first week of July, even maybe some middle of July is kind of my kind of late planting date. I want them in by mid-July at the latest. Um, as long as we have soil moisture there, they come up and we can get 20, 30 bushel um, double crop beans, which will pay the bills, um, so to speak. But if we don't have moisture planting the dry soil, I've seen where they come up two, three weeks later, they're coming up, you know, first, second week of August, and then they're going to be a cover crop, um, being crop usually at that point. So there's a lot of people that um, have cow-calf operations um, that will plant a um, warm season, um, you know, annual forage after wheat, and those mature really quickly um, when planted in July. Um, also, some people will wait until August and plant a cool season uh, forage crop like oats um, and uh, radishes, brassica species. And that can also be excellent fall grazing. So I would say a lot of acres go to a grazed or hay um, crop after wheat, some double crop beans. I have people, um, some that have had Milo um, double crop. Um, that's kind of hit or miss. Um, I think the potential's there, uh, getting the shorts, um, short season, um, you know, sorghum or, or Milo um, is pretty important. And then double crop sunflowers actually um, we've had a number of producers do that, especially in Jefferson and Gage County. And that's mm -hmm. actually worked out pretty well. Um, sunflowers are more drought tolerant um, so, than soybeans. Um, just need a little bit moist, more moisture, though, to get that seed germinated in sunflower than you do some of your other double crops. But if you can get that sunflower germinated, um, it's a deep-rooted crop and seems to handle things pretty well. But marketing is huge. Do not grow sunflowers unless you already have a market um, and place lined up to, to, to bring that <laughs> Well, sunflowers can be kind of a pain with the combines, right? Yeah, um, both uh, in terms of the oil. Um, if you're new, um, combine fires is a, a real issue um, with with sunflowers, and so definitely talk to another producer that's done it, um, gained that experience. I, I'm not a, a sunflower specialist by any means, but I have a few growers that have pretty good experience in the area that I've referred uh, farmers to to talk to to other farmers to to gain that experience and ask those questions. Yeah. And the sunflowers that you see down that part of the state, that's those conditions probably tend to be a lot more like they are in Kansas during the summer. So they have more days that are 98 to 104. Sunflowers are probably a little more tolerant of those conditions than, say, dryland corn, which doesn't tend to like mm -hmm. uh, that heat is quite as much. Um, 
really doesn't like that kind of heat at all, unless if unless there's a lot of moisture, yeah. uh, which there wasn't a lot of this year in some cases. Um, so speaking of that, let's just go back about a year. At this point last year, most of East Central and Southeastern Nebraska were, we'd cascaded into drought. We were probably in severe to extreme drought in a lot of this area. And so farmers are probably planting into what fields that had very little topsoil moisture and very you know, relatively depleted subsoil moisture. And, you know, we probably waited and waited and the rains just really never came last fall. and We didn't get a whole lot this last winter. So how, how, so in terms of the dryness last fall, how, how much of a detriment was that to the overall crop? Like could it have been saved if we'd had a really good spring or did, was it already put behind the eight ball just because we were so dry last fall? Yeah, no, it was really put behind the eight ball already last fall. Um, so um, the drought really, to me, started in Sling Jefferson Gage, Southeast Nebraska, almost starting in July, and then increased pretty well where our corn and soybeans, our previous crops, um, had really depleted our subsoil and topsoil moisture, and we just didn't get the, the moisture. So um, I had a lot of people plant into dry soil, like you said. Um, and that's why I just wrote the article again on my blog about having dead weight on your drill, refilling that drill more often so there's more seed weight in the drill, having sharp uh, disc openers uh, to keep that wheat planted at an inch and a half. And so what happened last fall, um, people looked at the calendar date and said, I'm just going to plant this. Um, things were dry, didn't look like it was going to rain. And they couldn't keep the drill in the ground. And so we had shallow planted wheat in, on a lot of acres. And usually we can skirt by if we have good moisture. Um, snow cover on that. Even then, I see winter kill in those conditions fairly frequently. Mm -hmm. And it's not we always had neither kill. of those two things last yes. winter. So we had no snow cover, we had no moisture, and shallow planted wheat seed. And so it's really was a combination of two things. Some of it's true winter kill, uh, where that plant got established, and then we it was just dry, and the temperatures we had um, killed some of those plants. A lot of it is what I would call winter desiccation. So that plant germinated or emerged, but it was essentially in such dry soil that we essentially droughted it out uh, or dried it out over the winter. So true, more of a desiccation than a true temperature that I would call winter kill. So both of those things happened on a lot of acres. Um, I would say 50% of the acres of wheat in my area, we had probably about 15,000 acres in Saline Jefferson. Half of those um, were already in trouble um, going into winter and very clear already in March. Um, that we weren't going to have the stand um, that we needed in those fields. So, unfortunately, it was an easy decision. I walked and drove uh, with my four-layer. I, I probably got 2,000 acres of that, um, it, talking with producers, and a lot of it was. And, and I have really good um, interpretations of where we need to be at for a stand in the spring, but a lot of that was walk away from, from this wheat crop. And guys who kept it that had poor stands, um, had really poor yields. And so I wish they they would have contacted me. Um, the ones that we kept um, were in the 30, but man, that fall moisture, um, Eric, there was uh, an area in um, Southern Jefferson County. So kind of from Fairbury, East and West and South of that line of that Fairbury line. So um, had cotton about two inches of moisture in October last year. And that made all the difference in everything north where we didn't see that moisture. We got that wheat established well and had some moisture. And those were some of our best yields. We had 60, 70 bushel um, dry land wheat. And so the, the, the big difference wasn't the spring moisture. It was the two inches of moisture that we had in October. And that matches up a lot of with my experience with growers who do have irrigation, um, mm -hmm. who have watered wheat in the fall to get it to come up or just to get it in. I'm more of an advocate of now than I've been. If we have a dry fall or if it looks like it's going to be stay dry here in October, um, and you did plant some irrigated wheat here in Southeast Nebraska, an inch or two of irrigation probably could make a 30 bushel difference in terms of what you get next year. Um, so that tells you what getting wheat established well in the fall means. Well, absolutely. So if I'm hearing you right, it doesn't sound like we necessarily have to have four inches of rain this month in this area. We just really need a couple more half inch inch rains just really kind of get things moist mo somewhat moist in the top soil let things germinate uh and grow a little bit is that kind of what i'm hearing yep yeah if we can have six inches to a foot of of moisture um going in um to the winter i mean between hopefully better snow catch than last year where we had like you said no snow 
catch some snow and then hopefully we can start to cart dig out of this drought a little bit with some spring moisture. Um, I've seen that some other falls where we've been dry in past years, but we did get the spring moisture. And honestly, we ended up with average, um, average 70, 80 bushel wheat, um, even with the dry subsoil. So uh, luckily we're in part of the state uh, where we're that 29, you know, 29, 30 inches. And we do usually get enough in the spring that we can, um, you know, make that up. And, and wheat doesn't require the amount of water um, in terms of inches used in its life cycle that, that corn and soybeans do. So um, that's something that we often don't think of. So. Yeah, no, that, that's a very good point, which is why you probably tend to see it in more semi-arid regions and say, corn. Um, so in terms of so how much water do you think it actually would use in a typical life cycle? Are we talking more like 14, 15 inches, under 20, certainly? Yeah, yeah, I would say around 16, if I had to pick a number um, in that range here in the east with our yield potential and kind of ET. Yeah. So the crop that did get established last year in southern Jefferson County you were just talking about was the winter the winter desiccation wasn't nearly as much of an issue on that then or the, that hard uh, freeze that we had in December. Correct. Yeah, we had very little um, desiccation or winter kill in that that southern tier of Jefferson County because of that moisture and so excellent. Yep, excellent stands. Um, I think they also probably. Um, Planting depth in that area um, also was probably a factor. They must have, you know, had things set up. There wasn't as much shallow seeded um, in that area. And so maybe the moisture conditions, even at drilling, were, were slightly better. But um, no, it it was, I had a, a wheat uh, field day down there by at Neil and Corey Lilly's farm, which would be south of Diller, kind of by Steel City, um, and had a, a Westbred um, agronomist come up and he said, you know, at the field day in June that that was probably the best wheat he had seen from Texas to then until through Nebraska uh, was <laughs> that little corner of Jefferson County. So um, it was kind of the, the the garden spot, so to speak, for, for rain fed wheat in the area. But it just tells you what um, we don't need all the moisture right now here in the fall, but we got wheat is is pretty drought tolerant, but it, it, it really does need some moisture for establishment. Right. So, yeah, we really need some more moisture and it doesn't look real promising in the next five to seven days. But, um, you know, with us heading into an El Nino, that is, at least in theory, is more favorable for us to get some more moisture this month. So, I mean, hopefully that we are not looking at a repeat of last fall in terms of having very low moisture. And you know, the El Nino winter would tend to say that there is a bit less of a chance of having that displaced polar vortex like we had in December last year where we had um you know kind of that one day one or two days where we had highs that were at least here in Lincoln were below zero. I think down the Kansas border they probably were low single digits. But without snow cover, several hours of temperatures being below zero or above zero is probably not great, I'm assuming. No, I mean K State and UNL extension publications have some good data on kind of temperatures and thresholds, but even um, we I looked at some North Dakota data on winter wheat and even two inches of snow can make a huge difference in terms of protecting that that wheat crop. You know, I, I talked with farmers and agronomists and I think there was a couple different weather events that that may have caused some particular issues with us for the overwintering wheat last year. One was the drop in temperature that we saw in December um, mm -hmm. that you talked about. I think the second was we did have a little bit of a warm up period. Um, I, early March. Um, and it's what in part of February, and then we had some fluctuations in March temperatures. And that was particularly what happened at our, our UNL winter wheat variety trial. It actually did green up, looked halfway decent. Um, and then we had a, a cold spell in March. And mm -hmm. what I would call almost a, it's what growers are, would often call a false spring, where we warm up the wheat greens up and then it gets cold again. Steve Benziger, our, our retired winter wheat breeder, has seen that over and over again. So that caught some of our acres too. And then the other part was that winter desiccation where the seed was just planted shallow. It was dry and we didn't have any winter moisture and we just dried that plant, that seed going out. So those were kind of three things that I think contributed to what we we saw or uh, poor stand in the spring. Yeah. Do you think like we're getting more of these fall springs and having more reduced years with reduced snow cover in the winter? I mean, certainly the last few years we've had very little snow cover in this part of the country. Uh, but it also seems to me that we're getting more of these late winter, early spring warm ups followed by a cold snap. 
that's been a particularly big problem, I think, in the southern plains, southwest Kansas, Oklahoma. Are we starting to see more of that issue here in southeastern Nebraska as well? Um, I, I think the, the it, it was a contributing factor this year. Um, if we continue to see that pattern, um, you know, companies have acknowledged that issue and that weather pattern um, further south. And so there are companies that are looking at winter wheat varieties that don't come out of winter as fast. They, they're they slower to green up. Um, they might be more photo period sensitive um, than they are temperature sensitive. So winter wheat has both things going on in it. It's it's both uh, photo period and temperature um, for that green up. And so there's a little bit that the breeders can do. And so there's some varieties that, that companies honestly advertise in terms of variety that's like you know slower to green up or, or come out of winter and so that is one way to mitigate risk especially if you're planting more than one variety um have more wheat acres that's pretty typical here in southeast nebraska most guys don't farmers don't have that many wheat acres and so most are planting one variety um some two and so that makes that using several varieties as a risk management tool a little bit tougher um in terms of those what i would call those those uh, late winter, early spring warm-up periods, and then getting cold again. But yeah, it, it is a risk. It's happened before, uh, so this isn't the first time. But for some reason, the combination of events, um, I talked to a producer. He thought it was the worst stand or winter kill, winter desiccation he had probably seen in at least 20, 25 years um, down in this area. So, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, that would, wouldn't shot me just given, A, it was very dry, then you had that, significant dry cold and then not much moisture after that. So in terms of that warm up or the warm temperatures for the green up period in say March, I'm assuming it's more than just like one day of 70. It's probably at least what, four or five days of it being oh, 60, 70s and warmer nights or what, what kind of temperatures are we looking at to kind of really get that initial early green up period? Yeah. So one, it, it does take an extended period of time because the ground and that crown and that soil top couple inches needs to be already thawed out or not frozen, right? Mm -hmm. um, so one, we already have to have some slightly warmer temperatures. And then, yeah, it's, it, usually at least a week uh, of those warm weathers where we start to see green up um, of some of the varieties. And some do. I mean, some on our, when we do our strip trials or our small plot variety trials, you can see the ones that, that will green up a little bit sooner. Some don't. Uh, we had one variety that out of 35, um, at the location in Fairbury that didn't winter kill or didn't wasn't bothered as much by the conditions as an older variety released in, I think, 1999 by South Dakota and Nebraska, USDA, called Wesley. Um, so I learned something. Uh, if we're working for a winter wheat crop, uh, winter wheat variety as a cover crop, because a lot of times winter wheat cover crops are planted later, Wesley might be something that we want to look into in terms of uh, cover crop uh, variety testing, which I've already relayed to our folks that are looking at different cover crops, um, species, but also varieties within species. So, um, so yeah, it's, um, something that we really can't control in terms of, of a producer, right. When we get those, those warm periods. Um, mm -hmm. so that's a risk and that's why we have crop insurance and other crops that, that we grow. Um, oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So I'm assuming most of the farmers in at least Eastern Nebraska grow winter wheat. It, I know what we talk about is all part of a rotation. Um, have they, uh, the ones that are still growing it, did they, I'm assuming they just never, it was because they never phased it out or some phased it out and added it back in. Uh, what, what's kind of the historical legacy with winter wheat in this, in this area? Yeah. So um, if you look back, um, we lost uh, a lot of winter wheat acres from the 1950s here in Eastern Nebraska. It's been pretty continuous. Um, and really um, bottomed out probably here in eastern Nebraska. Actually, in 2019 was would be kind of the low for winter wheat acres. We've actually now been increasing winter wheat acres in eastern Nebraska since 2019. With 20 um, consistently the past couple of years increase. Um, the the growers, um, most of them, I would say, are growers that never quit growing winter wheat. They've always been growing it. Um, and then we've had a lot of newer producers, younger producers uh, in their 20s and 30s. Um, that are back at the farms that are are looking at diversifying the oper operation, maybe a little bit more um, willing to take risk. And anytime you grow a new crop, 
even if it's a reliable crop like wheat, anytime you do something new, uh, there's inherent risks of that. And so I work with a lot of new growers in eastern Nebraska to make sure that we don't have those missteps and get some of these steps right so they have a successful uh, winter creek wheat crop the, their very first year, barring any weather challenges like we had oh, this year. Sure. I would say it, it's some of both. I think what most people don't realize is our winter wheat yields have increased um, really a bushel uh, per acre per year. So we've our, we've gone up 30 bushels in terms of our yield average over the past 30 years in eastern Nebraska. So that's really a compliment both to our breeding, uh, the, the winter wheat breeders, uh, getting varieties better adapted to eastern Nebraska with the yield potential and traits we want. But it's also a testament to the farmers that have been growing wheat and started growing wheat in terms of their level of management of where they're at now um, compared to 30 years ago. Absolutely. And I'm sure working with people in extension like you has probably helped make sure that they're doing all the right practices and staying on top of things. And um, I, I'm assuming the, the wheat yields haven't been increasing like that in the southern part of the Plains, though, right? Or it doesn't seem to me like they have. Yeah, no, the, the yield increases have really come um, southeast South Dakota. Um, would be kind of a similar story where they've seen actually increase in winter wheat acres, a decrease in spring wheat and an increase in winter wheat. Um, they have some of the highest rain fed winter wheat yields. Well, when, especially when you look at the Eastern tier of mm -hmm. the hard red winter wheat belt is actually Southeast South Dakota for yields. Uh, they've had district averages, you know, in the seventies or eighties. Um, and so part of that historically um, Southeast Nebraska was kind of the, the North, what I would consider the northeast corner of the hard red winter wheat belt. And northeast Nebraska never had much uh, for winter wheat acres going back really the last, you know, 100 years. And so winter kill um, or winter injury was huge um, problem with winter wheat, especially for areas of, of the Dakotas and northeast oh, Nebraska. Oh, sure. Did and, they ever have spring wheat in, in parts of northeastern or north central Nebraska? No, um, the spring wheat market doesn't really pick up until you get into South Dakota in terms of, of elevators in the market. So sure. it's kind of what I would call no man's land uh, for wheat is Northeast Nebraska. Historically, it's never had any, but the yield potential of growers that I work with up there is fantastic. Um, my own farm is in uh, kind of Northern Dodge County. Um, we've had this year, um, you know, with the drought, um, about 35 bushels, but the last couple of years we had kind of 80 and 90 bushel wheat. Just talked to a grower in uh, Colfax, Stanton County, and they know that's typically, he's shooting for 100 bushel wheat, uh, dryland wheat, and he's been able to achieve that quite a few years. So the yield potential is there. We have the varieties that can handle um, our winners more years than not than what we did um, 50 years ago. And Steve Benziger, who's now retired, Captain Frell is our new UNL winter wheat breeder. I'm sure she's um, she's doing lots of, of good work, but I know Steve Benziger, one of the things he was, has been breeding for, was breeding for when he was at UNL was, was winter wheat hardiness. And so, uh, we've all the breeders at UNL, but across the industry have really improved things on that side. So I think it kind of caught me in, in growers off guard this year with how much, um, desiccation, winter kill and, and, and issues that we had. And it just must have been the right combination of events and the drought that I think um, did it in. It wasn't just temperature alone because we've had cold temperatures in the past and, and not had anywhere near these amount of issues. So. Oh, sure, sure. But I mean, historically, or at least typically, if we were as cold as we were there, like last December 21st, 22nd, 23rd, there's usually snow on the ground or at least enough snow on the ground, it probably insulates it a little bit. So you said earlier two inches of snow cover can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. Usually if our high here is zero or five below, there is some snow on the ground. Sometimes there's a lot of snow on the ground, and we didn't have that. And maybe it would have been better if the soils have been relatively moist, but that wasn't the case either. Yeah. So it was probably just a perfect combination of things. Uh, but getting back to the lack of markets northeast Nebraska, that would that kind of explain the lack of winter wheat acres in a lot of Iowa as well? Yeah, and I, I do work. I'm actually invited to speak over at Iowa State at the summer field day here um, in June. I've spoke with them in winter programs before. But yeah, the, the proximity um, to uh, a market or an elevator to sell that grain um, definitely isn't a, a barrier because of cost of, of hauling or trucking. So in Northeast Nebraska, um, there's grain elevators in, in Schuyler and Fremont. And really when you go from there north to the South Dakota state line. Um, That's quite a distance. 
there's there's not much. And so quite a few of the people in Pender, Stanton, those areas are bringing wheat down to Fremont and Skyler um, in terms of the market. And so sure. uh, it is a barrier uh, to growing any new crop. It's the same thing for field peas. I've worked with growers a little bit on yellow field peas here in the east and the closest place to bring those is Hastings. And so um, same thing with sunflowers that I talked about. Don't grow sunflowers unless you know where you're going to go with them. Um, so um, that is um, something growers need to be aware of, especially in Northeast Nebraska when they grow to grow wheat is, is where, where do you plan to bring that? What's your trucking cost? Man hours is a big thing too. Just because you have a truck doesn't mean you have the, the hours to, to get it there either in, in your day as a, as a farmer. And so those are all things that, that, that you need to that when you, you grow winter wheat here in the East. Sure. So you mentioned earlier that you were seeing more younger producers that were starting to institute as part of the rotation. Um, do you think that's just because they're legitimately just trying to have a more diverse crop rotation or is that they're trying to, were them implementing cover crops or having some integration with livestock for like extra feed and such? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think it's a combination of several things. One, um, they're, you know, they're, they, and I, I'd say if I have older producers that want to try something new, but I think they, they're willing to try something new, take a little bit of risk. Um, I also think, um, you know, some of the operations, it's multi-generational. Um, some of those operations, um, there's a lot more interest on, on farms in Eastern Nebraska, I say across the Midwest on soil health. Um, and we have pretty good um, research from universities on the impacts and improvements that adding wheat into the corn soybean rotation can have in terms of improving soil health. So part of it is, is I think a soil health movement. I think what really helped um, the adoption of winter wheat was actually the adoption of cover crops because already people were seeding wheat or triticaleae or rye as a cover crop. And they're like, hey, I'm growing this as a cover crop. Could I grow this as a cash crop? So I've had growers that have literally made that move from starting growing small grains first as a cover crop. And then they realize, hey, I'm going to grow this as a cash crop. Um, I've had some walk into it saying, I, I have cow-calf operation. We don't have the amount of pasture acres that we used to. Um, I may not have the hay supplies that I used to now with the drought. Uh, they're looking at wanting to plant winter wheat because they know then they can plant a warm season annual forage or cool season annual forage after the wheat. Um, I've also had people do wheat, um, rye, triticale also as a silage crop. Um, usually you go to triticale um, or cereal rye, but that's why I get those questions too. So um, it provides some flexibility um, to their operation. They also realize, I think with the drought last year, um, we had we had 100 bushel wheat in Sling Jefferson Gage at harvest of 2022. We also then in the fall of 22 had 100 bushel corn. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so you start doing the you start doing the economics on that, and you're like, wow, actually this looks pretty good, especially with soybean herbicide costs and, and soybean yields too. So we picked up a lot of winter wheat acres last fall. It's unfortunate we weren't able to keep those. But I think people realize that the extreme weather events and just the weather that we have um, maybe not is not exactly the same as, as what we had 30 years ago. And so wheat really helps um, mitigate some of those extreme weather events. If you have a, a, a flash drought in July, guess what? The wheat doesn't care. You already have it out of the field, but it impacts mm -hmm. corn. However, yep. however, you have a fall, winter, and spring drought guess what? That's going to catch the winter wheat. And so that's what we just dealt with. And so um, having multiple crops mitigates risk. It's so you're not solely relying on crop insurance. It also distributes workload differently on the farm um, where you have another crop in the rotation that's just not a warm season annual crop like corn soybeans. Um, and so that also can bring some cash flow during summer when you harvest that wheat, if you're selling that, then you have some cash, cash flow coming into the farm in the summer too. And so it is, is unique to each operation, why they're growing wheat, but a lot of the ones you said are are, are reasons why they have that. No, absolutely. And I just had Dr. Carl Cordova on this podcast uh, back in September. And yeah, she mentioned some of those things about having a more diverse crop rotation as being actually very essential for soil health. And what you're just talking about in terms of um, conditions of 2022, so I wouldn't say the winter 21-22 was good either. Actually, it technically was drier than winter 22-23. I think the big difference was, though, at least in eastern Nebraska, there was a lot of moisture for about a 10-day window, late October, early November. So that probably significantly helped the wheat crops that meant it had moisture going into that season. And then we actually were, 
we had okay moisture in late April, May, and June yeah. of 2022. It didn't start really getting dry until July, so it was really bad for the corn. It wasn't too bad for wheat. And I think that's historically what's the more typical. Usually, if it's really bad for the wheat, it's not as bad for the corn. This is just sort of a perfect storm in some places. The state this year was really, really bad for everything. Yeah. Um, some places in east of here, I think, did reasonably well on corn because they had enough moisture going in the season. They got good rains all you know, all summer. Uh, then you had like Knuckles County that I think everything this year was a disaster. Everything, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now they're starting to pick up some rain. So hopefully this year's wheat crop will be better. Uh, but just to kind of close out, I, what in terms of other than just the um, you know potential lack of moisture, are there other challenges uh, for producers, wheat producers in this part of the state that you see uh, the next couple months, or uh, what's on your mind for the next yeah. two or three months? Yeah, I th- I think probably the biggest thing challenge i've seen agronomically is actually um getting the winter wheat established here in eastern nebraska so we are planting later um a little bit later um after beans and it seems lately the falls the past couple falls have been drier um but if we can get if we can get past that um usually the biggest challenge is actually our wet period um in the month of may um which is you know a, a a blessing for 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 moisture, you know, for dryland corn and soybeans have subsoil moisture in June and July, but uh, diseases, um, foliar diseases, so three big ones. Um, one is leaf and stripe rust. So those are fungal diseases. Those spores blow in from the south. So we kind of know they're coming. We do track that and have a crop watch page uh, tracking the movement of of stripe and leaf rust. And so those are things that are easily controlled by using both a combination of variety selection and foliar fungicides. I think the more the toughest one that's really impacted growers in the East historically, and I think Stephen Mugula, our plant pathologist, would agree, um, like we had really bad fusarium head blight, or it's called head scab, fusarium head blight, fusarium disease in 2015. Saw a huge decrease in winter wheat acres in Eastern Nebraska after 2015 because of the challenges of, of head scab. And so that's a fungal disease that's also in our corn, um, that then can impact the, the winter wheat crop. Um, and that happens only during flowering. So during flowering at the end of May, when it's wet prior to flowering and during, those spores can land in the head and affect the head. And that can cause a direct yield loss, um, test weight, but it also leads to fusarium, uh, damaged kernels and uh, vomitoxin or called Dawn, which they check for at the elevator. And if those, those levels of, of that vomitoxin are high enough, they can reject the load. Uh, so you bring your wheat uh, truck in with a thousand bushels and they reject it. So then where do you go with it? And so that is one we can do. And I work with growers on all time variety selection. We have a lot better varieties for resistance than what we used to. There's no such thing as complete resistance. It's a rating of one would be resistant, 10 susceptible. A lot of our stuff is four would be the best. And so I like guys in that rating of four to six on the varieties. And then a timely fungicide um, applied in May if we have those wet conditions set up. And so there is a model. Um, called the Fusarium, oh, correct. I, there, there's a website that predicts the risk of Fusarium head blight that's coordinated at multiple, multiple universities. So I look at that, that catches us pretty good, but most often not, we have the moisture conditions where I really like growers to plan on a fungicide application during flowering. There's only about six fungicides labeled um, for that. And you gotta use those six. If you use the wrong type of fungicide, you can actually make the problem worse. Um, so that may not be always intuitive for, to producers that haven't grown wheat. Um, so um, that's probably our, our next biggest challenge is is what what we have for moisture conditions. We need the moisture, but at the same time, we have too much in that time frame. Uh, it can also hurt us. Well, and you don't even for corn and soybean. Yeah, you want the subsoil moisture, but you don't want excessive rains in May. Either people aren't getting stuff planted, or you're you're running the risk of having to go out and replant because things got yeah. drowned out. Yeah. Um, yeah. 2015 was just excessively wet in a lot of this part of the country. Uh, was it? Could it also be maybe not just too much actual rain, but is really really high humidity? Say like we just had an unusually warm, humid mid late May during flowering. Would that also raise raise a risk? Um, that would be a good question for Stephen Logulo. He's an expert um, at Fusarium head blight um, disease here in the in the U.S. Yeah, I'm not sure where humidity falls in terms of contributing to risk. I know rainfall or irrigation, the two weeks prior to flowering, and then really the, the seven to 10 days during flowering 
um, I know are risk. But yeah, humidity, I'll have to look into that. Um, Interesting. Stephen. So in terms of the amount of rain, like what would you consider to be like too much, like an excessive four inches, an excessive six inches? Ooh, another good question. Um, yeah, that model does a good job of kind of looking at that. Um, I think they've factored that in. But yeah, I've never actually asked Stephen or talked to the modelers, what what are those inch thresholds or, or days of, of wetness in the canopy? Um, those would all be really good things to to dive into a little bit more. But obviously we have a conditions, I would say at least two out of three years where whatever those con right conditions are, Fusero Head Blight um, is definitely a challenge for growers here. I mean, it's, but it, seems it wasn't that, this year, I'm assuming. It was not this year. This was the year... Uh, growers called me, hey, Nathan, you told me I always need to spray at flowering. Do I need to? And I'm like, no, actually, it hasn't rained. It doesn't look like it's going to rain. And guess what? I I saw almost no uh, Fusarium head blight um, damaged heads this year. Um, and so it was the right decision to to skip that, that fungicide pass. Yeah, well, a lot of places didn't even have a half inch of moisture the month of May, first part of June this year, and dew points were... Yeah, dew points from World Day weekend were like what the 30s and 40s, and winds were out. I mean, it was just strange, you know, that really large dome of high pressure that sat over Hudson Bay and just kind of blocked off all moisture to western and central eastern, basically the entire Corn Belt. It's kind of got blocked off for moisture, and it was very detrimental to the wheat uh, in this part of the country too. So, hopefully, we don't. Hopefully, we do not see a repeat of that. That's definitely not my projection, but Mother Nature keeps throwing us curveballs, and she increasingly is throwing more curveballs at us. <laughs> Yeah, if I if I had a wish for moisture, um, where we're at now, obviously I'd love to catch some more moisture this fall, like you said, to get you know, I would love to have a, a top foot of, of good soil moisture going into the winter. And then it seems I, it's nice when we have I would say average to slightly above average temperatures with good moisture, good rainfall in April. Um, if we set the wheat crop up with with good temperature and moisture in April. From my experience over the past nine years, that usually leads to a pretty good, you know, wheat crop come July. And so April is a pretty critical month. Um, if we come to the end of April this coming year and things are still really dry, um, the chances of, of digging out of that in the month of May, at least for the wheat crop, um, start to go down pretty fast. So. Yeah, well, if we're still as dry in late April as we are right now, then uh, that wheat's not going to be the only thing that's going to be a concern. Yes, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, I greatly appreciate your time today, Nathan, and you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Yep. Bye.